Kia ora and welcome everyone to the Kiwi Running Show, episode number 50. And my name is Hayden Sherman, and with me here is... That, that's your cue, Stefan. <laughs> feel, feel free to jump in. <laughs> G'day, guys. Stefan, Stefan here from Over the Ditch in Australia, bringing you all of overseas news with uh, Kiwis jam-packed in action over the past few weeks. Yeah, totally. So for those who didn't catch our last episode, basically what we're doing is going to be releasing this show about monthly um, and really trying to catch up on the last month's news, catch up on some of the people who have been doing cool things in the world of running over that month, uh, whether they're elites, whether they're high school runners or whether they're just uh, everyday Joes or Jennies um, out there um, pounding the pavement. So, Stefan, let, let's start off with, with a bit of local news, first of all. Um, and sorry to start this on a, on a negative note, uh, but we really did want to touch on it. Um, and I think this was actually at the end of May, but the New Zealand running community lost one of its, um, one of its big pillars, really, um, in Dick Quack's uh, passing away. So we wanted to um, spend a little bit of time remembering him. And, Stefan, I've got to say... And you feel free to counter me on this, but is Dick Quacks the best New Zealand runner ever who hasn't won a gold medal at the Olympics? Uh, I was thinking about this last oh. n- last night, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, you got John Walker, Peter Snell, and, um, uh, you know, all the other gold medalists that we've had. Uh, but then... Dick Quacks, he's, uh, let me run through his his bio. So he got a world record, which is a, a big mark in the sand. So he got a world record in the 5,000 metres, 13-12. He was uh, second in the 1,500 at Commonwealth Games in 1970 behind Kip Kano. He had the New Zealand record in the 10K, so 27-41. Um, and that was only just beaten by Zane and Jake, in the last couple of years, he's got the fast. Mm. At the time, he had the fastest debut marathon in two eleven. Um, he went on to get a PB of two ten in the marathon. Um, Quacks also got just reading through my notes. He he got the world record for the four by one mile in nineteen seventy two with a bunch of other Kiwis. Um, he was also on the Kiwi team that won the New Zealand cross country title, and he's got a whole bunch of New Zealand titles. So that's a pretty impressive resume. Um, what do you, what do you yeah. reckon? Best New Zealand runner to never have won? I think, I think um, distance-wise, definitely. Yeah. Um, as a guy who's, I mean, he was around for a long time as well. He was really consistent with his results. He was, um, you know, at the forefront of international running in his era as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the, the thing that stands out for me, I think, the most is um, probably that world record as well, which over 5,000 metres is, yeah, it's, it was never going to be a soft record, so to speak, as well, yeah, um, yeah. as exactly. opposed to, I think, maybe the marathon was back in the day when it was still getting quite big chunks of time taken off of it. Yeah. But the 5,000 metres has always... Um, been really competitive for for a number of years and he was probably coming into an era uh as africans started to make their dominance on the scene as well yeah um, yeah totally 
you mentioned Kip Keener before um, in the 70, early 70s. Um, so they were definitely coming through that mid-70s, um, definitely through the um, late and early 80s. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, I, I can't think of probably anyone else. Um, yeah, it's our greatest distance runner. Um, I mean, regardless of winning a gold medal at the Olympics or not, but um, yeah, it, yeah. There's, there's, there's guys that are probably going into their career now that might have some good careers and in the future can live up to that standard, but he's he was definitely, I think, our best 5-10K guy um, that we've probably ever... If we just cut out just then, we had a bit of a Skype outage, as you do, but we are back. And I was just about to say, like, comparing um, Dick Quacks to other other runners who haven't won a, won a gold at the Olympics or world champs, I was thinking, like, Lorraine Moller, Nick Willis, Rod Dixon, they'd probably be the other, other three that I'd chuck in there. Um, but, yeah, Dick Quacks, absolute legend in the sport, and it really is sad to see um, him go uh, passing at only 70 years old. So that is, um, that's way too young. And so thoughts continue to go out to his family and, and especially his son, who's, who's really well-known, um, Theo, in the, in the running community. So, um, Theo, keep it, keep, keep it up and um, keep those... Those running running dreams going in, in the family. Um, yeah, we want to see that that Quack's name continue on in the in the sport. Have you run the Christchurch um, marathon, half or or ten k? No, I've done the I've done the half and I pulled out. Oh, that's <laughs> too cold. Yeah. wasn't wasn't a good experience for me. Yeah. Um, nah, I just I had some I had some stomach issues and stuff. It was it was weird, but yeah. um, I guess the segue in there was um, Quacks was pretty handy over the marathon. So um, exactly. yeah, go go into the results there, mate, and cover us off what happened there. Yeah, so um, we had some Aussies come over and really, really dominate it in a few different distances. But in the marathon itself, uh, Brett Ellis came over and won in 2.27. And second place was Dougal Thorburn, who actually won it a couple of years back um, in 2.30 from Dougal. And then in the ladies, we had Hannah Oldroyd um, backed up her win uh, in 2.48. And Mel Aitken crossed the Alps from the West Coast and uh, ran 253 to uh, get second place there. Um, in the half, and I, I wanted to cover off the half because we'll, we'll mention a couple of these names shortly, uh, but another Aussie mm. came over. He ran 65 minutes and won, won the half, Bradley Crocker. Uh, and then Aaron Pulford was second in 106, so just a minute behind. Um, but then Daniel Jones, uh, so he runs 107, uh, Michael Voss was just behind him, and then Nick Horsball runs 108. And so we're going to get to Daniel Jones and Nick Horsball pretty soon when we talk about the Gold Coast Marathon because uh, I think especially Nick's time compared to his half marathon is amazing in the marathon. So 108.36. Yeah. Um, and then he, he, um, yeah. I, I think he, following his training a bit and knowing him, that was more of just a hard training run, um, sure, Christchurch. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he's definitely capable of running probably in the low 65s himself, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. But, oh, that's, nah, that's, that's good to know. Um, yeah. And then also in the, the women's half marathon, Alice Mason took it out in 117. Um, and then I also just really wanted to quickly mention the 10K as well because Ollie Chignall, the 
current 5,000 metre New Zealand champ uh, took that one out in 30.21, so getting pretty close to that 30-minute mark. Um, and then Lydia O'Donnell uh, ran a PB in 34.19, so some good results there. Um, then the following weekend, and I mentioned Daniel Jones before, um, he came back from that half marathon, um, and the next weekend, only six days later, so he went from the Sunday to the Saturday, won the Dawn Cup, which is a really prestigious cross-country race in, in Wellington. Um, so he won ahead of Isaac Murphy and Malcolm Hodge, and then in the ladies, Cara McDermott uh, took that out, and Maya Christini, um, or second, Nicole Mitchell was in third. Um, and then the nice. last, oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, yeah, nice. It looks like there was some good close racing in those as well, about 20 to 30 seconds across the top three in both races. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then the last piece of national news we wanted to cover off was the Wellington Marathon, which was just this weekend gone. And um, Patrick McKenna took out the win in 2.40. Um, and in the ladies, Mayuku Usui, uh, I'm sure I've destroyed her name, but a uh, Japanese runner uh, took that out in 3.05. Um, and then the half marathon was run won by Neam McDonald in 1.10 and then Sabrina Gogan, Grogan in 1.25. We'll go on to my little segment, which I like to call Kiwis Overseas. Um, and we'll we'll probably kick off with the the track stuff of recent um, and build through to the Gold Coast. But um, yeah, to kind of recap, um, people have probably seen some of the results. But um, just going in depth a little bit more was uh, had Nick Willis returning to action uh, in the fifteen hundred, which is his um, pet event um, over in the Paris Diamond League. Uh, results sometimes are hard to read into, but you know he finished tenth um, back of the field three thirty six twenty six. Um, which, you know, by his standards is nothing flash, but I think from where he's come from, um, you know, pretty lengthy injury break early on in the year, which disrupted some plans, um, including a, having a bail out of the Commonwealth Games, which no doubt he would have been pretty upset about. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that 336 first up has come off the back of a couple of 150, um, 800 races he's had recently over there as well. And, I could easily see him back down to that 333 range. Um, it looks like he's gone over to another bit of altitude stint for three to four weeks, and I think he'll come off that really strong and, and just um, dust the rust off a bit. So yeah. um be really interesting to see how the second half of the season goes um, for him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I don't think he'll be that, that gutted with it because, yeah, like you say, he's only had sort of three months since the Commonwealth Games, since that injury, so... Um, yeah, yeah, and it's equivalent to about a three fifty-three mile. And considering he ran like a four-minute mile about six weeks ago, and he was probably oh, wow. balls to the wall. Yeah, he um, that's that's some good improvement over that time. So it shows he's starting to to get back into a good rhythm. Yeah, and I think in that race they went through the first lap, or the pacer went through, and like maybe fifty-four high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's nuts. It, it, it's it's so just, fast. It, yeah, the Diamond Leagues irk me, eh? Like, it's just, <laughs> they're kind of boring races to watch. I hate yeah. that they go out so fast and they, they run like a 58 second lap. It's like, what's the point in going out in 53, 54? Like, yeah. why don't you go back to back 56s to 57 range? One, they're going to be a lot more even. The race is going to be closer. Um, probably going to have guys fighting over the last couple of hundred meters rather than single file the whole way. Yeah, boring. 
Anyway, that's my yes. rant over with how boring I find Diamond League races these yeah, days. Yeah, no, I agree. I could go on and on about it, but maybe we should. Maybe we should have a special episode where we rant yeah, about Diamond yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think maybe every every three or four they should have pacemakers, and the rest of them not have pacemakers. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Like a Monaco that target that as a the fast one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And anyway, um, kind of mix it up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, also, so underneath, I guess that Diamond League standard is probably that next tier um, of meets, which we've actually got a couple of Kiwis over there at the moment. Um, so the first lot uh, we touched on last week is that junior crew um, going for the World Juniors spots. Um, and, yeah, I mean, giving it more toe than Roman Sandal is pretty. Tanner and Mulai all racing against each other again with – um, Isaiah getting the upper hand this time in a 348.61, just uh, half, half a step in front of Tanner at 348.85, and Mulai just a touchback in 350.01. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's probably going to have to snip off that mullet, I think, because it's creating a bit too much drag. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, they're all looking really good, um, I think, to be honest. They're probably, I don't know who's going to make the final selection, but Tanner and Pretty seem to be the two at the front at the moment. Um, yeah, really interesting to see how that comes about over the next week or so. Um, Do you know the, the date of the World Juniors? Uh, it's, I mean, it's coming up. It's, it's only, I think, a few weeks away. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can imagine... I don't know if they're racing another race between now and then. Surely they'll make up a decision this week, I would assume. Um, but, hey, people have done crazy things before, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, yeah, so at that same meet, um, actually had another two, beat, uh, two PBs from uh, a couple of Auckland studs in nice. Matt Manning and Ben Monaghan. Yep, the, um, the older boys. <laughs> yeah, the older boy. Well, by older, I don't know, I think. And a few years older. <laughs> five or so, maybe younger. Um, Matt, I'm not too sure. He, he might only be 20 himself or something. But, um, yeah, 342.10 for Matt and 343.41 for Ben. So That's both, solid. Far out. Yeah, I think yeah. they were both 344 and 345 before that. So, yeah. yeah. You know, they're knocking on the door of, I mean, 342 is like a sub-4 equivalent. Um they're, they're getting down to that. If they can be running 340, you know, they're, they're starting to make that next breakthrough to push on to that sub 340 clocking too. So um, yeah. that was first. Well, oh, then they start to get into the discussion like, oh, if they get in the right race, they could go 336 and qualify for the next big uh, major champ. So, yeah, they're sort of just pushing on that door of like, oh, let's keep an eye out on uh, on what they produce it and as they go through the yeah. season. So, yeah, exciting. Yeah, still, still- Still probably a bit another step up, but um, I think once you get under 340, you need to run that a couple of times before you make that jump. We've seen guys like Carson yeah. and Matthews and Speakman in the past um, hovering around 338, 339, and then um, yeah, pop down to that 336, 337 low mark, which um, I think is just the natural progression. It's it's probably a bit harder to go from not breaking 340 down to 336 unless you you have just been sitting and kicking in races. But, yeah, um, yeah no, very positive stuff. And um, Julian Matthews was actually in that same race um, going 348, so not too sure how he might have been feeling about that. Um, but he's been on the long way back from an injury as well um, and going well, so surely only onwards and upwards. 
Um, Absolutely. And just a shout out to some non-running um, things going on is obviously both Tom Walsh and Eliza. So Tom's um, been finishing, you know, either first or second at most shot put events throughout the year. Um, went in on the weekend just been and also Eliza was probably the standout for me with a 492 jump, fourth highest of all time. That is insane. Is, yeah. Yeah. And I think so once because Reg is going for a five meter crack, which um, you know, you're getting close to the world record then and you're you know, your headlines at every track meet. <laughs> yeah. oh. I know. I mean, because New Zealand media it loves this girl and so we're sort of it's hard to gauge, you know, how good she she is. But this I think this jump really affirms like, okay, we genuinely have a very world class athlete on our hands. Yeah, um, you know, I, I remember when um yeah, when uh, Isambayeva was still jumping the Russian bird who was um got the was jumping the world record at the time and yeah yeah she was she was on like every front headline page of IAAF and every single Diamond League meet she was always one of the headliners involved in the conversation so you know, you know they should be at the media press conferences as one of the main athletes I'd be talking to so I can imagine Eliza's very close to if not already doing those types of duties so yeah, yeah. very very cool very exciting totally um, so we'll step we'll step away from the track a bit now and come to just the weekend just been which was um the Gold Coast marathon half marathon and supporting events so arguably um, probably the biggest weekend in Australian running um, on yep. the running calendar there. Possibly one of the biggest in New Zealand running as well. Like the, the number of runners that I coach who jump over the ditch to run a uh, mm. nice flat, flat, fast course, temperatures are usually pretty good and you, you know, obviously makes a perfect winter getaway. So it's a, it's a big, big event in our calendar as well. Yeah, well, I was going to say, even um, I, I was actually listening to the Inside Running podcast earlier this morning and their coverage yeah. of it and they, um, one of them was going on about how the weather is not good for the marathon because they start at seven o'clock, which is a little bit later. And I, I agree with them. They should start the marathon earlier at six and do the half at seven. Yeah. So it's the other way around at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Because aside from a select few who we'll talk about soon, not many people actually end up running PBs for the marathon over there. A lot of people always run fast in the half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the 10k but yeah just the marathon i mean once it starts getting hot and in a marathon it's tough you know so yeah but we'll take we'll, we'll, that's another topic um so some really good results from the kiwis over there um in particular nick horsebill leading the way um who got that elusive sub 220 clocking with a 218.30 um so absolutely destroyed that goal um which he'll be over the moon about because he went over to Japan earlier on and had a DNF. And, um, yeah, that can be really tough. But, he, he, you know, he's a guy who he's got a family, he's got a full-time job. He gets up and just gets the work done. He's been really consistent and um, just a really deserving result, um, to be honest. So, yeah, Absolutely. well done, Nick. I remember um, um, doing a park run with him recently and we we toddled around in, like, 16-something and, he was he was about 15 seconds ahead of me, and I was like, oh, that was pretty good. I was only 15 seconds behind Nick. Then I have a chat to him, and that was the fourth 16-something 5K he'd done that morning. 
Um, yeah, he's probably doing a four by five k or something. Yeah, yeah, all in the midst of like this thirty five k long run. So yeah, that was definitely like okay, this this guy's real real fit right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but he um yeah to go along with his result was um a club mate of his and training partner on debut, which was just missing going under two twenty um going two twenty point oh six. Um, for 21st place, which was, um, yeah, again, cracking run um, yeah, awesome. by Dan, especially on debut. So um, so sorry to interrupt. We're just aiming miss- to go under that. Um, sorry to interrupt, Stefan. We just missed you for a little bit. So that was Daniel Jones, um, who you may remember oh, from, from the Christchurch Half Marathon and also the, the Dawn Cup, so running at 220. Um, and then who else do we have? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I'm only going to cover back to a couple of guys, but um, we had Blair McFurter as well, who was third Kiwi home in 2.25. Um, and there was also um, Dave Radley, who's normally really consistent with his marathons and been chopping down on his PBs a lot every single marathon he's been going on. But um, I'm not too sure what happened to him. He might, um, looks like a bit of a meltdown, maybe missed some nutrition or maybe just wasn't feeling too great. But, um, yeah, he, he blew out a bit to two. Um, but yeah, hope everything's all good with him, and I'm sure he'll be back on the horse again soon. Um, going for that sub 220 himself. For sure. Um, in the women's race, um, first three Kiwis home, Alice Mason, 243.47, which was a nice. PB and a top 10 finish as well. So she That's was in 10th. Yeah. Yep, so just scraped in there. Um, Maggie Campbell, who actually haven't heard of her name before, but. Um, 245.14 and Kelly Parlane 247.51, which was also a PB. Um, so, yeah, always great to see PBs by um, athletes going into the marathon, which is fantastic. Um, and also a shout out uh, to Sally Gibbs, who. The 55 year old. Yeah, so went 253, which was faster than the New Zealand Masters record, I believe, in that category. So, yeah, for a 55 year old. Um, pretty awesome running yeah um so yeah good stuff uh into the half marathon um didn't look to be too many pbs actually across the kiwi guys um but the top three guys across the line were caden shields in 66 16 um he's actually based in melbourne i think at the moment um and dan belchin in 67 46 and aaron pulford in 68 49 so Again, um, not too sure what might have happened with Aaron. Um, after He ran a couple of minutes quicker in Christchurch and, and ran pretty well at the Gold Coast last year too. So, um, yeah, good, good solid result. Um, and I only saw two kind of Kiwi results in the women's half, but um, uh, Hannah Oldroyd in 119 for 15th and Melanie Angland in 130. Um, so apologies if I missed anyone else there, but... Um, that's yeah. what I was looking at at the time. Um, and I guess while, while we're on the topic of marathons, at least, uh, um, I think it would be good to have a show focused around it in the future, but like maybe Tyler Marathon Chat or something and um, with some of the leading key, I mean, get a good group of them talking at, at the same time. Um, but, you know, off the top of the head, I can think of, you know, Jake Robertson obviously was setting the New Zealand record and Zane when he returns will inevitably run a bit um run just as quick but yeah. at the at the moment you know in terms of guys going under 220 and within the past kind of year we've got guys like dan wallace and tony Payne, nick horsball now 
Paul Martelletti, Sam Rufford. Um, so you have about seven guys under 220, and you just hope you know there'll be at least half of those guys kind of make that next um, jump into that mid 215 range. Yeah, for um, sure. And then you have have the other guys like Dan Jones and Dave Ridley and Oscar Insta Baines, um, who should be probably going sub 220 at some stage soon as well. Um, it's just a great spot to be in and, and to be encouraged, I think, for New Zealand marathoning at the moment. Um, like you may you may have a few old dudes back at saying about their, you know, back in the day stories and stuff, but <laughs> couldn't really I couldn't really care less at the moment to be honest. You gotta focus on the future and, and yeah. moving forward with things and it's all positive um, movements, you know. If oh, you, it really is. Got, if, I, I really think we could easily have 10 guys, maybe more under 220 shortly with five to six guys over the next couple of years going under 216. So then, you you know, all of a sudden, if you can't take Jake and Zane out of the picture because they're a bit of an outlier with the way that they're running at the moment is um, you could probably have five or six guys competing to try and make that third spot for Tokyo. And that's not even including our um, guest interview coming up soon. Um, and Matt Baxter, who's, I mean, this is just speculation, but he, him to me, uh, he, he looks like he could be a gun marathon guy. Like he's so yeah, strong I and agree. just, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that a little deeper later in the show. But yeah, I, I mean, I could go on all day fizzing over the marathon, but we could leave <laughs> that for another show as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I'm, I'm just looking at the, the marathon. Really good. Sorry, I was just looking at the marathon rankings for last year and like the top seven guys have all got pbs in uh, last year so that's like guys like tony payne dan wallace nick horsball paul martelletti ran 217 and um yeah i mean there's there's so yeah, much and depth most, there and most of them all seem to be in the mid to late 20s like a couple in the early 30s but at a good age where they can hit some times out of park as well yeah and what's i think really inspiring for me watching it is that they're not I mean, no offense to these guys, but they're not the real guns who are doing it as a as juniors, like running I don't know, under fourteen minutes for the five k or um, smashing out fast fifteen hundreds. They're sort of guys that have just plugged away, been really solid, um, but have really put the work in now with the marathon, and it's really really paying off for them. Um, perhaps the the exception there would be Dan Wallace, who's um, had a pretty solid solid career um as a as a senior in the shorter distances but yeah i think it's really exciting to see these guys just focus on the marathon and say like look this distance is about hard work and and we can put in the hard work and make it happen well up next we are going to be talking to matt baxter who is currently at or has he just finished college in the states um he's He's got he's got a year to go, so he's um, yep. just got cross country eligibility. Okay, um, which is basically like this next half of the year. Cool. Um, so he's been running some amazing times, and I remember seeing him uh, probably about two or three years ago running. Uh, he just ran across the street in Auckland, um, and I was like, far out. The guy looks amazing. <laughs> you know, when you just see a good running style, it's just like. Um, yeah, it's just like poetry in motion. But um, that was the case with Matt, and I was definitely like, wow, he's, he's got big things coming at that time. And then um, since then, he's just had these great results overseas. So we're going to have a chat to him now and find out what's going on, what he's got planned for the future. 
Hi guys, just before we jump to the interview with Matt, we did just lose him at the start on the Skype interview. So what you miss is him talking about where he lives in Flagstaff, Arizona. It's 7,000 feet, which is a tick over 2,000 metres, which I was, I was looking out the window and that's, that's almost as high as the top of Mount Taranaki. So you can imagine the, uh, the lack of oxygen up there. So training be- benefits are pretty good. Um, and he's going to the University of Northern Arizona, so UNA, and we're going to talk a lot about that. All right, let's dive into the interview. How about if you're just able to kind of go over your current situation there at the moment at uh, Mm -hmm. NAU and um, how you came about getting there and, um, yeah, moving forward? Yeah, for sure, yeah. So... uh... Basically, I mean, I came over to to Northern Arizona University in 2016, January 2016. Um, I came over to compete for the university on a on a scholarship over here. Um, I mean, I kind of NAU was sort of a random find in the end. It wasn't. It was never my first choice, but thankfully, it, it has become my best option in the end. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I've been over here since then, and and I'll be here until. Uh, to at least December of this year, and then my eligibility is all up to compete, and and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do. Cool. Yeah, yeah, wow. On that note, like with choosing colleges, because there'll be a lot of people listening to this that are that are thinking about choosing a college. Like, did you did you have a shortlist lined up, and what sort of things were you looking for when you chose your college? Yeah. So I. Uh... Man, I think I, I left it, a, I wouldn't say I left it late, but I left it later than a lot of people would um, to, to really come over here, I guess. And so when I was, when I was looking at colleges, I basically narrowed them down to, to ones that do my degree, um, my degree is criminology, and, and figuring out which ones have a strong uh, cross-country and track and field program. Nice. Um, I I sent out a bunch of emails to a, to a whole bunch of different coaches and uh, I I got a few back but a lot less than emails I actually sent out. Um, eventually, I was left with only a couple of options. Um, my first option didn't quite work out, and then it was NAU was looking like the most likely op- uh, the most likely option in the end, and kind of just went with it, and and then I ended up here. Well done. Yeah, and just, gonna, just to give gonna, people some was, context. Sorry, just to, oh, sorry, just to interrupt. But with yeah. with the NAU um, mm-hmm. decision, what what how was um because I mean I was I was kind of following them before you um, started, and they've had names like you know Lopez Lemong and David mm-hmm. McNeil from Australia, yeah. um, pretty well established. But um, I guess you've made that right decision. Things have worked out really well for you so far there. Um, how come it wasn't like why wasn't it um, a school kind of at your forefront at the time? Do you think? Uh, I think a lot of it comes down to I just I was never really overly interested in the NCAA system. I never I didn't know a whole lot about it when I was coming towards the end of my high school. Um, so even when I was getting offers from schools, I I never really thought to about them. Um, I just knew there were schools like Oregon and Michigan and Colorado, like these big traditional powerhouse schools and running. And a school like NAU was just never on my radar. I'd, I'd never heard of it before. The only reason I had heard of it was because uh, the uh, New Zealander Geordie Beamish 
um, had come over here. Yeah, and so he, he was probably one of the ones who who increased some of my interest around around looking at NAU as a potential option. Um, and then once I once I actually came up here, I saw what all the hype was about. And I mean, I think mm-hmm. NAU within New Zealand, at least anyway, has started increasing a lot more in popularity, and we've had a lot more interest in New Zealand athletes coming out of high school who are interested in in coming to NAU specifically, um, which I think is quite cool. The those of us who are over here, we're at least giving it a good reputation for for other kids who are looking at coming over to the US. Choice. How how was that first run in altitude? Did that go all right? Yeah, man. The I'd say the first few runs are not too bad. Um, you see it a lot when we have recruits come up here. Um, they'll basically be here for forty eight hours just to check out the place, and then they all disperse. Um, often they'll come up here and think like, "What is altitude?" They don't see how why it's why it's supposed to be hard or what the hype is about it because when yeah. you're up here for the first few days your body hasn't quite adapted to it yet yeah. um and then after that it gets harder and harder and then the first <laughs> couple of weeks the first few weeks it's it's kind of a rough transition and then you just it depends on who you are as to how long it'll take for you to adapt but ideally within a couple of months you'll start getting used to the feeling of of sh- of working with a little bit less oxygen, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm pretty keen to get into, um, I guess, more about past year you've had and and mm-hmm. moving forward. We should probably um, known who you are and, and where you kind of grew up in New Zealand and, and especially around your results as much once you've gotten over there mm-hmm. um, but I guess from uh, myself as someone looking in without um, too much more exploration as to where, how you got to there was um, the build up to probably NCAA cross country last year in which I think um, feel free to say if it, if it wasn't or not but probably um, your breakout races in terms of a name in the NCAA that people mm-hmm. recognise now with um getting second behind Justin Knight, who, you know, him himself was a finalist at the World Champs in the 5K. Um, and, yeah, I guess what what was your mindset going into that race and, and the season leading up to that and um, how you were going to attack that race? Yeah, so that was, a, um, I guess, the build-up for that really starts as soon as the track season finished. So... Uh, basically, I, I switched my focus to cross country in, I mean, maybe late June um, of 2017. And so basically we have from June through till November 18th or whenever Nationals was, the, the sole focus for our whole team is on cross country. We need to uh, do everything we can as individuals and as a team to make sure that we can perform adequately and uh, to our best once it comes nationals. And so going into that race, there's a real, there's a real team emphasis, um, which I think helps a lot. You, you miss that. Um, I think as runners, just in general, we don't, we don't have that team feeling too often. Um, it's quite an individual sort of sport. So going into this race, knowing that you're racing as part of a team, I think it just gives you that extra little boost. And so going into this one specifically, thankfully I had, 
I'd been to an NCAA cross the year before and and I surprised myself a little bit with getting 11th there. Um, but I knew going into this race, I had had a really solid build up. Um, I got a lot of miles in over the summer and the way my racing was progressing towards nationals, I knew my body was in the right place to do, uh, do something special for myself there. Um, and it would, I'd say it was probably regionals, which is about a bit over 10 days out from nationals. Um, we have to run a race to kind of see if your team will qualify for the NCAA meet. Um, I, I think I placed about fifth or sixth there, but I knew after that race that I had the potential to, to contend for the title at NCAAs just with how fit I was feeling in that race. And I knew we were going to ensure that NCAAs was run differently to how regionals was. Regionals was kind of a, a slower start and a, a bit of a faster finish, but, but we had organized um, myself, my, my coach and a teammate um, that we were going to take out NCAAs and put ourselves in the best position to, to place as low as we could and also put our, our team in a position to, to pick up the pieces that we were going to, uh, the damage we were going to do at the front, basically. Um, so, yeah, I, yeah, going into a, a race like that where you have a, a guy like Justin Knight, for example, who um, had just placed in the top 10 at, in the 5K at Worlds, it's, <laughs> it's easy to get caught up in, and think that this guy is unbeatable. Um, but you can, I guess you can never go into a race thinking that. And so when, mm. when me and my teammate took it out, we were, we had every thought in the back of our minds that we can break this guy. Um, there was, there was a moment where it looked like that might happen, but he's, he's an incredibly strong runner. So for him to have gone past me at the end there, I mean, um, he's not a bad person to lose to, I guess you could yeah. say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was gonna, I was, I was gonna say like near, near the end of that race to get, I guess the second part of the question, like what, what was going through your head at that time? Because I, I remember watching that and like, yeah, you hit the lead and you actually had a bit of a gap. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, man, can this guy do it? Like, was, was that like a planned move in your head or was it by instinct? Like talk us through a bit about that. Yeah. So I, uh, I had a, I had an original plan on when I was gonna, gonna make my final move, I guess. Um, it, it didn't quite work out in the race, just it wasn't feeling right to move when I originally wanted to. It was a little bit further back um, was when I was wanting to to drop the hammer a little bit. But uh, for some reason, like during the race, it just didn't feel quite right. So I, I kept going through the motions. And yeah, coming into the last K, I was, I mean, it was probably, I knew... I knew there was a there was a group of three of us who had completely broken away, basically. Um, so at that point, I knew. I mean, the worst result I was going to get was third, um, which gave me a real boost because it's like, well, if the worst place I'm going to get is third, then why don't I try to do a little bit better than third? Nice. Um, so yeah, coming into that last K, I was I kind of got a second wind and I started feeling good and. I'd, I'd say it was probably about 700 or so out where I, I ended up going around my teammate and taking the lead. Um, I, I probably didn't quite push it as hard as I should have. Um, I, it's always hard to tell when you're in a race situation exactly how much the guys around you are hurting. Yeah. Um, yeah. When, I, when I watch the video now, I, I regret not, 
not putting the putting my foot to the floor a little bit harder at that moment. I kind of did it a lot more a lot more gradually, um, which is easier for someone to go with a move like that when it's more gradual instead of a bit harder. Um, yeah. But, yeah, coming into the... It was sort of weird coming into the final straight because I knew I had this lead, but I also knew that Knight was right on me and he has one of the best kicks in the NCAA. So <laughs> when you're coming into... I never anticipated that I was going to be coming into a, a sprint finish with him. Ideally, I was hoping that if I was coming into the lead, into the home straight, that I would have had at least a, a sizable gap on anyone. Um, but coming yeah, into that and home straight... And, and when he when he went pa past you as mm -hmm. well, like it wasn't... He didn't go past you really quickly either. Like he, he was struggling to go past you. Yeah, I think he, he, he made a really smart move that he just gradually kept catching up to me once I had made my move. Um, and I was, I don't, I wouldn't say I was going backwards in that home straight. I think I still had enough momentum to try and at least try and um, counter his move slightly. But by the time he went past, he had enough momentum. And as you could see, he was celebrating before he even got to the line. So he was already in a position where he knew he had won. He had, he probably had another, another gear left in the tank if he needed, he needed it. Um, but yeah. coming into that home straight, I mean, I've never heard so many people cheer for anyone other than you before <laughs> in my life. Like, to come in there and you just have so many people shouting Justin Knight, and you're thinking, like, man, like, if I beat this guy, people are probably going to be pissed. But he's, uh, I think, just because he's such a, he's such a nice and humble guy, like, that's a that's more of a testament to his character more than anything. Like people want to see a guy like that win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that was going to be a, he was going to be a tough dude to beat in that final straight. But, um, but man, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't do anything different looking back on the race. I think it still worked out pretty well. And, and I mean, I would love to still try and outkick that dude in any race that I'm up against him in, but Absolutely. For that day, at least, he, he got the better of me. Yeah, I mean, it leaves you hungry, which is the, is the good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so looking through the results, you were 0.7 of a second off the, off the win, but you guys mm -hmm. also took out the team title really convincingly, so the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. Um, so it's five-man scoring teams, isn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, so the worst place in your team was uh, was 33rd and then three in the top 10. So it shows that you must have some, some great training buddies up there. Yeah, so I think we were, um, I'm trying to remember our exact placing, but we, yeah, we had second, third, eighth, and then... Yeah, I've got 28th and 33rd. Maybe Geordie was right on 40th or 39th, and then we yeah. had Andy Truard as well in the 30s. Um but yeah, I mean, to, to be able to train with a group like that, like we we have three guys in the top 10, like no other team in the nation has that. And uh, a guy who we had placed in the 30s, he ended up winning the NCAA Indoor 3K title. So wow. the, strength, the strength we have on our team and the group we have just, I mean, not only does it make, make training with these guys enjoyable, but it just means that we push each other because if you're having a bad day or even if you're having a good day, like you're, you're training with some of the best dudes. So you, you always kind of have to bring your A game to practice. Um, Cause these guys won't, if you're, 
I mean, if if you come to a workout and you're not prepared, then these guys aren't going to wait around for you. Like we're we're here to work hard, and if you're not willing to do that, then this is the wrong team to be on. But thankfully, our team works really well and thrives off off that feeling. Um, cool. And so for us to get that team title, that means that means more than getting any kind of individual placing. The the wow. team thing is something which you can enjoy with. I mean, your whole team, not only the five guys who score or the, the seven who race, the eight who travel, like you can enjoy that with, with every single person on the team. You can enjoy it with your community once you come back since Flagstaff is quite a small running town. Like they, they love to now have two national national titles um, in their small town. So the team title is the one which we really chase when we go out there. Very cool. And so you're originally from New Plymouth um, or mm-hmm. Tar- Taranaki. I'm not too sure if you're a New Plymouth boy or not. But I've just recently moved here uh, last year. And one thing that I've noticed is the lack of running partners to do workouts with. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, did you find that growing up in a smaller centre like this? And, and what, what does it kind of mean to you to have that support now? Yeah, so did you say you've moved to the Naki? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've Mate. uprooted from Auckland, moved down to Oakuta, uh on the coast. So, oh, sweet. Yeah. Um, so loving yes. it, but, yeah, definitely the depth of running's a, a little bit more um, sparse than Auckland. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I guess because, I mean, I was living in New Plymouth until my final year, at high school and then I, I shifted my base up to Auckland before coming over here. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I did definitely get used to doing a lot of running on myself by myself. Um, there was, there was something I never minded. I was quite self-motivated. So it was never a struggle to kind of get out the door because I didn't have people with me. Yeah. Um, but the guys who I did have, like it was kind of quality over quantity. Like cool. we didn't have a bunch of training partners, but, the ones who we did have were were worth hanging around with. Um, there were guys who were also motivated and driven. They they loved the sport of running um, just as much as I did. So when I was on the New Plymouth Boys High School cross country team, especially like we had a we had a really passionate group of guys training then. Um, I don't know exactly how things are looking now, just because I haven't I haven't been back for a little while, but. Um, Man, I I want to see see running in New Plymouth thrive again because I know I know it used to. So maybe that's something I'll keep on my agenda in the future. Yeah, well, I tell you what, Hannah O'Connor is the name to look out for next. She's she's just oh, completed yeah. a clean sweep of um, of cross country titles at high school. Uh, well, she's got a silver medal in there um, back from year nine, but she yeah just took out the the national title for um, her year thirteen. So she's the the big name coming out of here. Um, yeah, she yeah she's been doing amazing. And I think I just want to mention that that's a real testament as well to Karen Gillum Green. Um, cool. She she coached me as well when I was at high school, and now I I believe she's still coaching Hannah. Um, and so I mean she does absolutely amazing work, especially with high school runners. Um, cool. She just keeps the sport fun and keeps keeps things enjoyable. So any. Uh, any big performances? I I have no problem crediting my own performances when I was under her to to her efforts, and I think what Hannah is doing now um, that's real testament as well to what what Karen has helped her with. Yeah, choice. Yeah, good, good shout out. Um, so on to this year. So you kind of switch from cross country in your fall 
uh, of mm -hmm. last year through to the, the spring and summer of this year with, uh, with your track results. Um, obviously, there was a, a big result with the NCAA um, nationals on the track with your, your 10K result. But tell us a bit about mm -hmm. that build-up uh, for this year. Yeah, so I I remember talking with my coach and and we had we had big goals heading into the season. Um, the hardest thing is coming off such a big moment like getting second at at the NCAA cross and and also with the team winning and there's so much hype and excitement around that and you have yeah. to I mean you have to do interviews and you get praise and all the rest and and then you have to come back down and then get ready for an indoor season. I mean a month later. Um, so a indoors was an interesting experience for me. Um, I had a couple of really good results out of there, but for me, I was expecting more at that stage. So I, I went to Washington and ran a 402 mile and then I ran a, a 753 3k, um, over at Iowa, but you, you've probably never seen someone so upset, uh, to run a 402 mile before in their life just because I was like, man, I, I got second at NCAA cross. Why can't I break four? Or or I go and run this 3K and I run a huge PB, but why can't I break 750? I just got second at NCAA cross. Like trying to compare where I was at in my fitness to an experience I had a couple of months earlier was a very unhealthy experience to have yeah, during yeah. indoor season. Um, and then I ended up, really struggling at our conference meet. Um, I, I basically blew up in our 5K when I was trying to chase a, an NCAA indoor qualifier. Um, and then I somehow managed to be the the final qualifier for the 3K to indoor nationals, um, but didn't quite perform how I would have liked uh, there. I was, oh man, I was 13th, 12th, somewhere around that region anyway, yeah. um, shows how much I was excited about it. But <laughs> coming into this this outdoor season, I knew, I mean, I talked with my coach as well, and I was like talking about how I had some of these frustrations that indoor season didn't go how I thought it was going to. Um, so when we went into this outdoor season, there was just a big focus on like, hey, like we just need to have fun again and we just need to race um, cool. or enjoy racing basically. And so I went into outdoors with that attitude and then basically opened up with a with a 1331 5k and a 2810 for my 10k. Wow. Um, and so I I always felt like I kind of had that in me. Even over indoors, I, I felt like I was capable of running those times, but it was nice to finally uh, finally be able to go on the track and do it. Um because it's one thing to say, oh, I think I'm in, in shape to run 28.10 for a 10K, but, but my P is 28.48. Um, it mean so, a whole lot. Um, so to actually go out, it was a nice nice achievement, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, Matt, I know um, to a lesser extent anyway, for, I've experienced kind of similar thing, and I'm sure many others have before, where, yeah, you come off a crack across country season and you're just so keen to kind of prove yourself on the track. But mm -hmm. the track is such a, um, it's just such a different beast in terms of, I think, getting that focus and knowing that the first couple of races are probably going to be a bit um, under par or under expectations as well. Um, but obviously you you grinded through that kind of indoor period and 
yeah, just those times you mentioned before, just to run over those for the listeners. Um, that thirteen thirty one puts you on the as fourteenth New Zealand uh, of all time, and the ten k um, just outside the top ten as the eleventh fastest New Zealand all time. But I guess for yourself, um, do do you see yourself as I guess more of a ten k guy moving forward into the future, or do you, um, you strike me as someone who's quite a strong guy? Are you looking at um, kind of longer distances as well past that, or um, you know what? What achievement do, were you most happy of on the, um, or most proud of for, the, for your track races just being this past season? Yeah, I um, man, I think the 10k was probably a big one for me. Um, I mean, I had I had gone into that season. My big goal was to break 28 minutes. Um, and when when I tried to go for a fast 10k last year, um, I at it wasn't at Peyton Jordan. It was at one of the first Stanford invites. Um, I had a really tough time. I, I was, I had a little bit of sickness and stuff, which didn't help going into that race, but I was really eager. And I, my first 5k was a 1408. And then my second 5k was a 1440. And I just absolutely died in the second part of the race. And so going into the 10k this time, I was, I was still holding a bit of anxious nerves and thinking like, I know I'm a lot fitter than I was last year, but I want to try and run 14 flat or something through this first 5k. And what happens if I blow up again, it's hard to kind of keep that stuff out of your mind. Um, but then I, I ended up even splitting it. I ran 1405, 1405. Um, so yeah. to, to come away from that race, uh, I think I, I brought a lot of confidence away from that race. Cause I was like, I, I now know that I'm capable of running faster than my PB from last year, but I also know I can run a lot faster than 2810. Um, it's just the, yeah, yeah. the unfortunate quite, nature quite, of a 10K is you can only run maybe one or two fast ones in a season, and I only had one, uh, one real crack at it, at least anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was going to say, you ran even splits. Why don't you kick it in? Mate, I know. I <laughs> I think we 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 slowed down a little bit in the middle section. Um, but I mean, to be honest, like I, one thing I'm really working on is my last lap. Um, no matter what race I'm doing, I'm really good at running a 63 last lap. Um, which yeah. at, at this point isn't overly competitive. Um, I mean, you have you have guys who can who can run a 55, 56 last lap off the end of a 10k as I found out at NCAAs. Um, and so that's something which I'm working very hard on. I, the kick is um, a work in progress, I guess you can say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're going to, um, I mean, you're, you're, yeah, you're knocking on that door of sub-28, um, mate, which is, yeah, that was a bloody impressive run. And, you know, when you you drop another 20 seconds, you'll be knocking on, you know, like top five all-time New Zealand. So, mm -hmm. um yeah, really, I was really impressed with that run, mate. So congratulations Thanks, on that one. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. And and so the the NCA championships comes around and um like you say, they, they blasted at home in that last lap. You ended up with a <laughs> with a fifth place. Uh, what mm -hmm. what does that leave you hungry for? Um you've got one more season of cross country this this year, um and then it's sort of done and dusted for college. But where to where to next? Yeah, so 
I guess my my big focus at the moment is heading into this cross country season. Mm. Um, I mean, we we still have such a strong team. We're retaining a a lot of our guys from last year, so the goal going into that is to to do whatever I can to help this team win another national title. Um, and then and then after that, I mean, I have every intention to keep my running going. Um, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like in terms of where I'll be based or, um, or I, I guess I have to wait and see what kind of offers there may potentially be on the table. The, the great thing about being in the NCAA system, um, he says sarcastically is that you have to, you have to wait until you're out of the system to see what your worth is. Um, basically I can't, I can't talk with companies or I can't find out maybe what kind of offers I would be, um, I would potentially get once I'm done until I'm officially finished with my last NCAA cross country race. Huh, so the, yeah. the, the future is very open at this stage. Um, but yeah. the intention is to keep running regardless. Oh, yeah, Good to hear. Um, yeah, and, nice. and do you, do you enjoy running the 25 laps or do you kind of feel like maybe the roads might be, uh, might be your next home or yeah. What, what's your feeling around what you'd like to do? Yeah, man, the, the 10 K on the track is hard. Like I, um, I give credit to anyone who, who that's the thing you do all year round is, is train for a 10 K on the track. It's, uh, um, even when you have a good race, like even, even when I ran my PB, it's, you get to the middle sections and it gets really hard. Um, I don't think there's ever been a 10 K that I've run where, I've felt like those middle sections were easy. And that's regardless of if I'm running 30-30 or 28-10. You get to that that middle section and it's a mental grind regardless. But um, I think that's just because you're on the track. You're running 25 laps. There's only so many things you can look at, um, so many things you can think about. But uh, for the meantime, the 5K-10K is, is going to be my goal sort of over the next couple of years as I look towards uh, the Tokyo Olympics. But, uh, I mean, in the future, I would be silly to to deny that the marathon uh, wouldn't probably be where I'm going to end up. Um, I remember when I was, man, I was young, maybe, maybe 11, 12 years old, something like that, and I was in a in a new world parking, uh, new world car park in the Naki. And, <laughs> and my dad was talking with Paul Ballinger and Paul came over and he said, Hey, you're, you're going to be a good marathon runner one day. <laughs> and I just remember thinking that's, that's the last thing I want to hear. The last <laughs> thing I want to do is run a marathon. But when Paul Ballinger tells you that, I mean, you should listen. <laughs> yeah. If I was 11 years old and he told me that I'd be like, you're crazy, man. Don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go away. <laughs> it's either criticism yeah. Yeah. for lack of speed or a compliment on your endurance. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, going going back to um, just how you touched on um, your final year with the cross country, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit right now, but um, obviously coming off that second place from last year, like just a truly incredible result. It's yeah, it's it's so so hard to um, put that all together, and now to come into your final year, you know, like obviously you, you'd be having some expectations of your own. Um, a guy like Justin Knight is coming back. I haven't seen if he's going pro early or anything like that, but that along with obviously um, 
a bit of a target on the back. There's going to be other guys heaps hungry as well. But mm-hmm. would it be fair to say that this season coming up, I mean, people are always looking for improvement. Is that, you know, NCAA title firmly that goal or the burning desire deep inside you for the, as well as the team title this year? Yeah, so... I think in in terms of the Justin Knight thing, as far as I'm aware, he's he's done at in, uh, in the NCAA system. I don't know if that has or hasn't been confirmed, but I would be very surprised if he was coming back. Um, but which puts me in a position where I mean, you got second to a guy who may not be there anymore. So where can you go from there? Um, <laughs> and I mean, the the guys in the system are, are incredibly strong. I mean, I have. Uh, we had some really good competition from a trio from Alabama um, last year. Those guys uh, placed really well at NCAAs on the track as well. Um, so they're going to be fighting at NCAAs as well, NCAA cross country um, for one of those top positions. And you just have a bunch of guys where, I mean, to win an NCAA cross title, it's, I would argue it's probably one of the hardest titles to win. I mean, to be yeah. fit and healthy in the middle of November and to beat, I mean, you're racing 250 guys or something. It's you got to have a pretty extraordinary day to have that happen. Um, I mean, you've seen guys in the past who, I mean, Edward Cheserick, for example, he won a few titles back to back, but then he got toppled in his final season by Patrick Tiernan, who was just stronger than he was on that day. Mm. Um, yeah. So you, guy you like Alan Rapper was always pumped up to win year to year, never did until his final year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and you never know who's going to come out. Like these these guys want to win this thing really bad because, I mean, you win a, an individual cross title. There's a lot of excitement and hype around something like that, and it's it's a goal which, especially for some of these American kids, like they've I shouldn't say kids. I mean, these guys are my age, but uh, <laughs> that these guys have had since they were in high school, middle school, elementary, whatever. Um, yeah. This has been a goal that maybe they've carried through that. I've only had for maybe the past year. Um, but definitely going into this race, I mean, it would be be silly of me to not have the target of to try and win the thing. Um, I, I would love to be able to come away with a national title, to be able to say that a New Zealand male has won a, um, an individual cross title as well for Division One would be pretty exciting. So, yeah, I mean, I will be, be doing everything to try and make sure that happens. Um, but I just got to make sure I get through the next few months healthy and, and make sure our team as well gets on that start line. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, some someone's got to win it, right? So why not, why not be you? But um, exactly. yeah, you, you mentioned um, yourself as well. I think that is the key point is, um, you know, don't do anything silly. Is be, it's about being smart and getting to that start line healthy for first and foremost and then from there um you know you take care of business so yeah uh, it's um it's going to be exciting following you um and seeing how you kick on as well so um it'll, it'll be great um i've got a couple of um out i guess questions unrelated to that um a little bit within the ncaa but it may be a little bit controversial so feel free to answer how you see fit but sure. within the Within the collegiate system, do you, uh, what do you think in regards to PEDs um, and and use worldwide? Like it's a bit of a problem with athletics, and mm-hmm. we're starting to see, I guess, more more and more people crack down on it, and it's good to see. And 
and all that. But the reality is that so many people still get away with it. But do you think it's something that is potentially happening at the collegiate level as well? Yeah, so uh, I, I guess I should say that as being a college athlete that we are randomly drug tested. Um, so since I've been at NAU, I have been drug tested. I won't say how many times, but I've been drug tested through the school. Um, cool. So they do have things in place to try and prevent something like that happening. Um, and But in terms of it actually happening, I... I mean, we've talked about it before about I wonder I wonder if it does happen in the NCAA system, but I have never raced against a guy who I have thought was dirty in the NCAA system, that is. Um, there's never been a performance that I've seen uh, at a national meet where I've thought, wow, that guy has to be on something to do that. Um, I mean, even the some of the best guys who, are, who have come out of the NCAA system, you have the guy... For example, like Edward Cheserick, he's moved up to Flagstaff since he's uh, since he's graduated. And I mean, I I see how hard he works. I see the people he's surrounded by, and they I am have absolute confidence that he's not on anything. And if a guy who was that dominant in the NCAA wasn't on anything, like who would be? Is my question. So mm. yeah, I would yeah. I would be very surprised if it was going on. Um, I think it would. It would also be very hard because on a team, you have such a broad range of athletes. You have guys who are borderline professional athletes, and then you have guys who are maybe walk-ons onto the team who who are on the team just because they want to travel or because they, they want to be able to continue there a little bit longer. Um, and to try and hide uh, any kind of drug use from from athletes who come from such a broad range of backgrounds, I think would be really difficult. You're, it would be a lot easier to get away with something like that when you have a bunch of like-minded people, like in a professional group or something. Um, but at the college level, I've, I've never suspected it. I've never felt like I've seen a performance that, that alluded to any kind of um, performance enhancing drugs. And, and hopefully I don't, because I mean, as far as, uh, since I've been over here and and before I've been over here, the NCAA kind of has a has a reputation of feeling clean and feeling inclusive by bringing in international athletes. And and if it starts to lose that reputation, then I mean you're going to start yeah. losing internationals wanting to come over here. Uh, yeah, it would just taint yeah, the I, whole the system as a whole. Yeah, I think I think you're right with that. Like I think um, it would be a sad day if it was happening a lot. Um, I think even when you look at some of the sprinting performances, like there's a couple that might get close to 10 or just break 10 seconds. But I think mm -hmm. if you saw maybe someone going like in that high nine, seven range or something, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think, I think anytime someone's getting in that nine eighty and faster range, it's, um, I call a bit of question for, but, um, that's that's neither here or there as well but um it's good to know that um from your perspective that it's um clean like that the mm -hmm. I, I think the only dodgy thing maybe in the ncaa system is um some of the ages of some africans coming over but um <laughs> that it's, it's hard to gauge that when a lot of them come from you know that they've had some pretty tough lives growing up and it's hard to track that type of stuff but um yeah okay that's that's interesting to hear your view on that yeah, and I think in in terms of the uh, 
uh, with maybe some of the Africans coming over here that uh, I think you would you would probably strike that no matter what level you were, uh, no matter what area I guess you were competing in. I mean, I remember I went to the Youth Commonwealth Games when I was probably about 16, and I was questioning the ages of a lot of guys in that field. Um, but yet again, like, that's that's just the way our sport is. I mean, yeah. I uh, a lot of those guys have had some pretty tough lives, um, and for them to have the opportunity to come over and compete, I mean, I, I will leave question of the age out for the sake of that their, their life may be improving through this process. Um, and I mean, I I raced there's a these three Africans who are on the Alabama team, and I I really enjoy those guys. They're such hard workers and they're um, they're racing incredibly well. But there's never been a point where I'm like, I, I I have never questioned their age regardless. But I've never looked at them and think and thought like, oh, you guys shouldn't be here. Um, mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I'm also an international. I'm going to be competing in my what am I my fifth sixth year yeah so i'm i'm already at the back end of the age that people would like to see in the ncaa um so i'm also not really in a position to to talk about other people's ages or complain about oh there's a 24 year old 25 year old in the system i am also one (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and i think as as you get older your perception changes too like i mean at the commonwealth games they listed a a kenyan guy who was 16 Mm-hmm. run 1308 and I was like it's a bit comical because of the age but you're like regardless of age if you're 16 or 45 like running 1308 you're still <laughs> competing against seniors anyway so it exactly. doesn't really matter but yeah. Um, yeah 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 which um I, I guess um speaking of some of those guys and um yeah how hard working they are and stuff um are you able to kind of fill us in and and the listeners as to what um has been one of your I guess most savage workouts or training runs that has kind of surprised your own fitness at the time as well. Yeah. So I, I guess one of the things when I first came over here was that I, I felt like I was working really hard in New Zealand, but I, I probably not pushed myself in workouts like I started doing when I came over here. Um, that's maybe a combination of just the, the training I've been given and some of the intensity of it and also having a group of guys who basically won't let you fall off the pace and you don't want to fall off the pace and work out. So I've kind of started pushing myself to a level which I I had originally never been to before, before I came over here. Um, but one of, the, one of the workouts that does stand out a little bit, it was it was the week before I ran the 1331 5K. Um, so I was still a little bit uncertain about where my fitness ex- was exactly at. Um, and so we we went down to Sedona, which is maybe a 40, 50-minute drive from Flagstaff. And it's still about 5,000 feet there. Um, and so basically the workout was a, a 200 meters, a 300, 400 and then a 1,600 metres, and then a 400, 300, 200. So just kind of going up, hitting a mile, and then coming back down again. Um, yep. And I, I'm i not notoriously fast. Like, even in workouts, I, uh, when we're hitting 400s or 200s, like, I have a maxing speed, and I am I struggle to go too much past that. Um, what is that maxing speed for, for your 200s, by the way? 
what what is it yeah if you want to share with us oh man i mean like we we only ever really do them at the end of workouts but that the fastest i've hit is maybe a 26 um and yeah that's me that's me going pretty all out um i would love to know what i could do fresh but i i would be surprised if it was a lot faster than that um but for this workout we basically i had a the first 200 was a 30, the 300 was 45, the 400 was 60. So that was just to try and get us get us moving. Yeah. And then the 1600 in the middle was 416. Nice. Um, and then the 400 was 56, 342, 227, um, nice. which it, it might not be like a, an amazing, crazy workout. I'm sure there's a lot faster ones out there. Um, but for the biggest one was the 56 after hitting the 416 for the 1600. Um, I, I don't think I've ever run a 56 before in a workout. Mm. So for me to hit that, I was like, wow, I think I'm in an area of fitness that I haven't been in before. Um, and then a week later I ran 1331 for the 5k. So that kind of reinforced that. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm at a period of training, which I haven't quite seen myself in before. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. And that definitely gives you that confidence that oh yeah, I could I could hang with the with the speedy boys in that last lap of the ten k as well. Um, exactly. Yeah, I just need a yeah. Just <laughs> just string it all together with, them, with yeah. the lap to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, so the last question we've got is: you get to choose one person in the world, dead or alive, and it doesn't have to be a runner. Um, but um, you're allowed to go for a run with that person. So who is that person going to be for you? Man, so I I think I'll go for a, a little bit of a sentimental sort of option. Yeah. Um, and so this person is very much still alive, and he'll appreciate me mentioning <laughs> that. And so that's my dad. Nice. Um, so, I mean, I remember running with my dad. I mean, when, when I was... I was a lot younger um, anyway, but he's he's had a few kind of injuries and stuff which has prevented him from running. Um, so, I mean, I would love to be able to take him when he was in his prime. He was a, he was a 220 marathon runner. Nice. Um, so to be able to take him on, on some of the trails in New Plymouth, um, go through Pukura Park, head out to Lake Mangmahoe or something, go for a long run would be, that would be a nice one to go yeah, with cool. especially on a long run man you start you start learning learning things about people you never knew once you get past two hours so yeah, yeah. I, i'll take my dad for that one. Oh, great great that's, answer that's that's awesome what what um how old is your old man by any chance by chance oh mate uh he's let's just say he's around 60 I don't want to. I don't want to give <laughs> okay. his age away too much, but well, he's he's around that point anyway. I'm only I'm only asking for interest because my old man is about 66. And okay. He was about he was like a 225 guy, so I'm I'm imagining they might have raced each other maybe back in the day. Oh yeah, for sure they would have they would have definitely been around the same era. Yeah. yeah nice. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, Matt, thanks um thanks a bunch for coming on the show and going through those questions with us and, and filling us in more with what you're up to and your plans for the future. And yeah, I just want to say from myself and I'm sure from um, the rest of New Zealand as well, that um, we're all really proud of your efforts and following you very closely and all the best to wrap up this part of your NC, 
um, double A um, career, and I hope it goes uh, really smoothly for you. Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me on the show as well. I mean, I I love seeing seeing any New Zealanders put an effort into to improve the knowledge around running in New Zealand and also just create a little bit of hype around it. So uh, so the thanks goes back to you guys as well. I really appreciate what both of you are doing. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, thanks, Matt, and, and our absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Awesome, mate. Cheers, bro. All right, that was Matthew Baxter. So great to have him on the show. Great, great runner, and um, I'm very excited to see where he can he can go over the next couple of years, and hopefully take out that NCAA title next uh, next autumn or this autumn. Also, um, oh, and by the way, do follow him on Instagram. He is on Instagram as Matthew Robert Baxter, so you'll be able to find him, Matthew Robert Baxter, and. Also, we are now on Facebook. The long-awaited arrival of the Kiwi Running Show on Facebook has arrived, so look for us on, well, just facebook.com slash Kiwi Running Show, and you will find us. So follow us there. We'll be sharing news and uh, whenever we release an episode up there and asking questions and stuff. Now, the other piece of news that we didn't mention earlier from Europe is that James Preston, the 800-meter runner, has improved his PB to 147, what is it, 147.76, so that's number 17 in New Zealand history, all-time bests, and um, it puts him about a second and a half behind our premier 800-meter runner, Brad Mathis, who this year improved down to 146 low, so basically 146 flat. Um, Yeah, so very exciting, well done, James, and that's about it for the show. Follow us on Facebook. See you shortly. Happy running.